0: Chapter 44. If y'all think you can other work, you let me know. Like me, I need my hand. Alright. trying All to figure out if to the group we hand. hand. the a couple things, but one thing I do want to mention to in Isaiah 24. In our clothes closet, we have a couple of specific needs. Uh, if you have these or know someone that does, particularly we need some men's yeah. clothes, and we need uh, children, infant through like 14. <laughs> so, uh, He's the so this is have got sent. Very Let's done. see what this And through life, for top. I All know you don't believe here. me. Either one. All right. We you make your hand out. And turn to Isaiah 44. We're we'll going for to begin our series on... Time for a series. i didn't say it right. We'll try one more time.
1: One, two, three. Who's your
0: daddy? Who's your daddy? Told you I couldn't know. totally make it this week, but i still hope that he'll, he'll be here sooner or later. And, and the more that I study this and the more I spend time in God's Word looking at this, you know, most of my sermons. Studying, I do 90% of the study I do in my office at home, and then I put it together here in Bartlett once I get all my notes together. But the time that I'm spending alone at home, both in praying and just studying God's Word and looking at these different attributes of who our dad is, it just uh, it really moves me in a way that I can't describe, other than to say that I literally can not in a metaphysical way, but just as an exciting way realize that God was right there in that little office with me and saying, just remember, Randy, how special you are to me and everybody that we're going to share this information with, how much, if you're a child of mine, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, how much your dad not only loves you, but has great plans for you that he wants to use you, wants to use us in a very exciting way for the kingdom of God. Don't just think, maybe you're a teenager and you think, well, i got too many problems with being worried about that. Your, your daddy knows. He's, he's beyond that. He already knows what he's going to do. He knows the plans he has to do. And the exciting thing for us is just to get in on it. To spend time alone with our Father. So as we walk through this series, you will notice the top of your handout. We began to talk about last week is the first thing that I really want us to understand and grasp and grip going forward as we look at this series about who our dad is, is to realize he's the only God. This began with a personal devotional that I was doing in Psalm 115. You'll see the verses at the top of your handout that say, I am the Lord, there is no other. We're going to get to that in a few moments. There is no God besides me. I am the Lord your God. Who will have no other God before me. You want the uh, Moses to tell the children of Israel, giving them the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments after the Exodus. You receive the Spirit of Adoption, by whom we cry out, "Abba, Father." Abba is an Aramaic term of tenderness or daddy, and that's where the title of the series came from: "Who's Your Daddy?" So, God in our lives as Christians, those who know Jesus Christ are Christ's followers. God to us is not a nebulous idea or a force, or even an entity who created the universe, like deists believe that God created and then stepped back and he's not involved. For Christians, those who believe God's word and the God of scripture, we'll talk, talk about that a little bit last week, we'll begin to get focus on that this week, that that God, the God who spoke the universe into existence, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the patriarchs, and the prophets, and the, the apostles, The God who is the great I am. That's your dad. And the one thing that you can take away from this series, the one thing I really want you to feel in your being as you understand and you read God's word is how much your dad loves you. There's a couple of times in the New Testament you see phrases like we'll look at one of them coming up. If, Jesus said, if you're if you as earthly fathers know how to give good gifts, what's the rest of it? How much more does your heavenly Father? James talked about that our God is the Father, our Dad is the Father of lights. And he only gives what kind of gifts? Good and perfect. Sometimes we as earthly fathers give gifts just to give them. And God does not just give us anything, just to do it. When you were born again, God gifted you with a spiritual gift, at least one. And the reason for that, he makes it clear in Scripture, was for you to use the gifts that he gives you on behalf of his other children, your siblings, for lack of a better term. The body can rise. That if you have a speaking gift, teaching or preaching, whatever it might be, if you have a speaking gift, then exercise that on behalf of the body. If you have a ministry gift, whether it be service or health or administration or whatever it might be, that you use that on behalf of the body of Christ. And I think sometimes, I don't think I know that sometimes in the, in the evangelical church, particularly in the 20th century, the latter half, and into the 21st century, one of the mistakes that we've made in conservative, evangelical, Bible believing churches is that we tend to look more upon the person who stands up here like moi, with a title and a speaking gift, although sometimes it appears that he may not have that gift, he just thinks he does those who have that light, we tend to look upon them as or more spiritual or more important than those whose ministry hands on gifts. And that could be no further from the truth. God gives gifted men in the church for specific duty, but he gives gifts to how many believers? Every one of them. Every one of them. And someone who has the gift of discernment. For example, like my wife has been given. There are many, many times I need to make sure I ask Mary, she remind me of that. It'll be a fun day since she's not here today. have little bit that to. evening. That there, time after the time, i make sure that I seek her opinion on something. And a lot of times she'll give her opinion even though I have not yet sworn. <laughs> <laughs> Realizing what? He desperately needs, uh, and I cannot tell you how many times over the years, and I've been to Church now almost thirty-six years, that she has said, "You need to be careful around that particular person. They're not; they do not have your best interests." At all. And I would say, oh, no, Mary, "I don't know, Mary, because I know everybody. I'm friends. I, I love meeting and getting to know people." He said, "You just need to watch out for that particular person." And invariably, it may be years later, sometimes weeks later, sometimes the next day, I will discover she's absolutely right. I need those, that, is that gift valuable to me? You better believe it is. And you have gifts. If you're not everything, they're not important. Because they are. Now back to what we were talking about today. Last week, we think about, we begin this series that our God alone is God. We looked at that in Psalm 115 uh, uh, in great detail. What we looked at last week, number one in your handout, God is not a God of false religions. Polytheism, many gods, humanism, man is God, pantheism, God is everything, he did everything, he is everything, atheism, there is no God. And atheists, whether they like to say it or not, atheists have a God. Because everybody has one. If you're an atheist, who's your God? You. You. The secular humanism admits that it's a religion. Atheism is a religion. It's just that you've you created the God. You are God. We talk a lot about that. And it's not anyism. You don't get to just make up for yourself what you want and who you want God to be. That's why the first time God says his name, what did he say his name is? I am. And by extension, you ain't. <laughs> I know that's a silly way to say it, but that's exactly what God wanted Pharaoh to understand. He wanted the Hebrews to understand. Moses, you go tell. I will always be with you in the church age, right in the middle of, until he comes back. and said, I'm always going to be with you, and I'm coming back. do well, I know he's with us, and he's coming be back. Because if he's not, he's a liar. And if he's a liar, he's not God. And so the one big place our faith in is our God. If you reject Jesus Christ, then you have every right to do that. God created volitional moral things. We get to choose. I can reject Jesus as my God. Does that change the fact that he's God? No. I just substituted myself or whatever, whatever Israelite bit as my God. And I get to do that if I choose to do so. Maybe my entire life will blame God. But Jesus made it clear that you will stand before him one day. And whether you want to admit it or not, you will admit and your knee will bow. Philippians says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess or agree that Jesus is Lord. And that means master of all. To the glory of God the Father. So whether I want to or not, Will acknowledge him as God. Now, for us, applicably, we're going to walk through life safely. Here's why this is so important. Everybody you know is a concept of God. They do. How do I know that? So I human beings were created in the image of God, even those who have rejected Jesus Christ, which is the vast majority of the United States. They say, they say they believe in God, but not in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus as the Christ, the only way man can know God. So for those of us who are Christians, we need to understand that's the culture of God in which God places us. That it it's a spiritual war that we're right in the middle of. And you know what? It's, it's exciting. It is a great time to be a devout follower of Jesus Christ. You're going to stick at it. You're going to stay at it and the Lord hopes you're going to speak out for who your dad is. That he's not who they think he is. Let me tell you about it. Let me lovingly, respectfully, gently dialogue with you and let's share Tell me who you think God is. And let me share with you who I think he is and why why Bible this is the manuscript, the manual, by which we as Christians live our lives. How we understand culture. How we do history. How we do everything. It's proven itself to be true. It will be shared some that over the next few weeks. It's proven itself to be true historically, scientifically, prophetically, particularly prophetically. Same things that were written hundreds of years before they happened literally happened. How do those people know that? Because it's not a book written by 40 different guys. It's God's work. It changes people. It's truth. And truth sets free. So for us, understanding we're in that culture, we're in the middle of this spiritual war, we've already won. Someone said we fight from victory when Jesus rose from the dead, He guaranteed and assured that death and sin had been defeated in our personal lives as Christians. And forever and eternity, He is the great I uh, am, you know, the one with the keys to death and heaven. He is God. That's who we follow. And so we want people to understand, we want to talk about it the world, understand where you're coming from. Now, let me tell you where I'm coming from. Why I follow Jesus, let's talk about it. Let's pray. Let us challenge you do one more thing and then we'll get to Isaiah the promise. <laughs> we got to the Super Bowl, they'll start with what kind of platform. You don't need all that pregame crash, you know that. That's a good thing they put the Super Bowl late, not this noon stuff. We'd be in trouble. Before was here. <laughs> People who never heard of the Super Bowl. All right. I forgot what I was get ready to say. <laughs> And I'm sure it's deep. All right, I get on that. We'll get it. It'll come to me in a minute, and then we'll jump in and the thing. All right. So, number two on your handout, not only is God, number one, he's not a God of false religion. Number two, before we talked about last week, he is a God of revelation. Isaiah 24, you will turn there. He is a God of revelation. He revealed himself in creation, and in conscience, we are creating in the image of God. We have the capacity. Know God to love. So let's say we are created in the image of God. Believers and non-believers alike. And it's a God of special revelation and that's scripture. That's why it's so important that you spend time in God's word and listen to that when he has to say what he's trying to get you to understand. So look at Isaiah 44, <laughs> verse 6. 44-6. Six. This is the point, point 3 on your handout. God is the God of history, verse 6. Three. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. By oh, the way, later on, Jesus would say, I am how from the Omega, the beginning and the end? He's in six. Omega, the Greek alphabet is what? The beginning? He was still in the six. End. He was Who could proclaim as I do? And let him declare it. it like he forth Lord me, if I appoint the ancient people and the things that That's are true. coming and shall come, let them show these to them. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Have I not told you from that time in declared clarity? You're my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. What God is saying to Israel, what God is saying spiritually by sending to us as his children. If there's somebody else out there that can do the things that I can do, have I? Like the prophets of Baal Elisha, up on the mountain. 400 of them. Just give it your best shot and you pray to God Prove quickly what? I, God, am God and the prophets of Baal, there is no Baal. He does not exist. There is no other God. I alone can do these things. I alone can tell you what the future is and then make it come to pass. Because I am the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end. God is outside time. He sees every one of the attributes you to look at. Is he sees every Simultaneously, you should bring some Tyler on Admiral with you that someday. We're trying to understand the fact that God is everywhere simultaneously, past, present, future. For us, for Him, it's just is. The moment He was walking in the garden, being with Adam and Eve and talking to Him on a regular basis, years, thousands upon thousands of years ago, He was watching us <clears throat> talk about it. As he was watching tomorrow, (laughs) he's already there. That's your dad. That's what you're going to be excited about. So specific revelation in Scripture. Now, look at verse 9 of Isaiah 44. And understand God as he talks about being the only God of history. Here's the reality. Here's the truth. Here's what he wants them to understand as he leads into history. Verse 9. This transitioning from Psalm 115. Those who make an image, all of them are useless, talking about idols. Their precious things shall not profit the gold that they're made out of. They are their own witnesses. They can see or know that they may be ashamed. Who would form a God and golden image that profits him nothing? Surely all his companions would be ashamed and the workmen, they are mere men. Let them all be gathered together. Let them stand up. Yet they shall fear. They shall be ashamed. Together, the blacksmith with the tongs works one in the coals, fashions it with hammers, making idols, works it with the strength of his arms. Even so, he is hungry, and his strength fails. He drinks the water and the faint. The craftsman stretches out his rule. He marks one out with the chalk. He fashions it with a plane. He marks it out with the compass, and he makes it like a figure of a man, an idol. According to the beauty of a man that it may remain in the house, he cuts down cedars for himself and he takes the cypress and the oak. He secures for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a pine and the rain nourishes it. Then it shall be for a man to burn, but he shall take some of it and it warm himself. Yes, he kindles it, and he bakes bread, and he makes a god and he worships it. He makes it a carved image and he falls down to it. Say the same thing twice, as he prepared a it. Says it twice, you make it, you worship it. You make it, you fall down before the court. Or, you worship it. You make it. 16. He burns half of it in the fire. With this half, he, did, he eats meat. He roasts the roast. and it is satisfied. He even warms himself. up says, Ah, I am warm. I've seen the fire. And the rest of it, he makes it to a god. His carved image. He falls down before it and he worships it. He prays to it. He says, Deliver me. You are my God. They do not know nor understand. We have shut their eyes. God has. But they cannot see, their hearts they cannot understand, no one considers in his heart, or is there knowledge or understanding to say, I've burned half of it in the fire, you know yes, I've also baked bread when it's cold I've roasted meat, eaten it <coughs> shall I make the rest of it an abomination, shall I fall down before a block of wood he feeds on ashes and see the heart is turning aside he cannot deliver his soul or say, If yes, they're not alive in my right hand. We're not going to execute all that. That's just kind of reading, real simple. What's God saying? So you got a fire, and you cook, and you take half of it and eat, and half of it you decide to make a god, and then you're going to fall down and worship that, and you're going to think that's going to be able to deliver you. Here's God's point. Beware of false gods. It's simply nothing but deception. And in reality, what He's saying is ignorance. It's stupid. It's dangerous. Why are you doing this? You're making the God. And he can't do one thing. I am. Now look at verse 21. If we want to make it personal for them. Remember these, O Jacob, and Israel. For you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant. O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me. I blotted out like a thick cloud of your transgressions and a cloud, like a cloud of your sins. There he is again, parallelism, transgressions. Sin, I blotted them out. Return to me, for I redeemed you. Again, here's what God is saying. You create the idols. as part of your normal life. and You take something to just know that just normally, you're a craft gun, you're a you, you're, uh, blacksmith, whatever you might be, and you make a god out of it, and he can't do nothing for you. Pause for a moment, God says. Step back. We look at this morning in the life of David. He says, consider your ways. Take the eye proper saying to them. Stop. Consider your ways. And remember, I redeemed you. I brought you out. I set you free. I forgave your sins. And I plotted them out. I remembered in the Lord that this is going to be your God. Something you created out of the ashes. <clears throat> I saved your soul. I forgave your sins. I gave you peace, hope, life. And specifically for Jacob, Israel, I gave you the land. I brought you out of slavery. All of that by the way picture what Jesus would do for us. Bought us out of the slave market of sin, set us free, Has given to us heaven as our eternal abode, why would we seek another God? And the reason is, there's two reasons. One, we refuse to bow to the God of which we And two, Satan is really good at what he does. He simply wants to deceive people into believing that to worship Jesus Christ alone is not Every time you hear people say, that seems pretty arrogant to think of Jesus is the only way. I didn't say. Who did? He did. And he proved it to be true. That's why scripture is so important. Either the God of Scripture is God, or we need to just do something else. We can hang out and enjoy each other, that's fine. But there's no reason spend time around God's word. There's no reason to spend time in prayer. Either the God of Scripture is God or we are wasting our time. Paul wrote it very very fluently, particularly in 1 Corinthians 15. He put it this way. If Christ did not rise from the dead, you're still in your sins. You are the most people on the planet, the most visible. You're still in your sins. Why? He didn't rise from the dead. You're not. You can't say he's just another religious man. How many people think that about Jesus? Great teacher, maybe a great leader. but He wasn't any greater leader than anybody else. Just a great leader, great teacher. But not God in the flesh. What do we believe? As Christians. He absolutely God in the flesh. Amen. The incarnation. God with us. So look at chapter forty-four, verse 28. 24, excuse me. This God is the God of history. Specifically and contextually, we look at the salvation of Israel. Look at verse 24. Thus says the Lord your Redeemer, he formed you from the womb. I am the Lord, who makes all things, stretches out heavens all alone, spreads across the earth by myself, frustrates the signs of the backwards, drives the diviners mad, who turns wise men backward and makes their knowledge foolishness, who confirms the word of his servant. Who confirms the word of his servant and performs the counsel of his messengers? Who says to Jerusalem, you shall be inhabited. To the cities of Judah, you shall be built. And I will raise up for waste places. He says to the deep, be dry. And I'll dry up your rivers. Here's what God is saying. Context. This is incredible. What he's predicting here, what he's saying through the prophet Isaiah here, is the Babylonian captivity. He doesn't mention it yet, he will. The Babylonian captivity is coming. Judah is going to be wasted. The, the temple will be gone. Jerusalem will be gone. And then ultimately I'm going, they're going to be carried away by Babylon in captivity for 70 years. At the end of that time, after the Babylonian captivity, I'm going to restore. I'm going to bring it back. Now look at verse 27. He says to the deep, Be dry, I'll drive your rivers. he says, verse 28, of Cyrus. He is my shepherd; you shall perform all my pleasure. Saint Jerusalem, you shall be built into the temple. Your foundation shall be laid. When Isaiah writes this prophecy, Babylon had not even come on the world scene yet. Cyrus will not be born for 150 years. Cyrus was king of Persia, not Babylon. Persia which captured Babylon, he's predicting, he's naming the man who will make the decree for them to come back at the end of the Babylonian captivity 200 years prior to the event occurring. Mentions him by name. 150 years before the man is born, God says, I'm going to raise up a dude named Cyrus, and he will send you back. those specifics You're going back to Jerusalem. You're going to go back and rebuild the temple. It ain't but Babylon's not even on the scene yet. Babylon's the one that's going to destroy him in 605 B.C. Cyrus is going to come along later. 200 years after this is written, Cyrus is going to say, yeah, you can go back. Because who's in control, Cyrus or God? God. Clear. That's the message in the book of Daniel. So Cyrus, 539 B.C., becomes king of Persia. and takes Babylon captive. We get Babylon the Neo persians Cyrus takes over. Literally, the prophecy written here by Isaiah becomes history. Not just the babblings of some old It becomes history. That's why Scripture, one of the reasons you can understand Scripture and believe it to be true, is that it says something's going to happen, and it happens hundreds of years later. Verse 28, notice how God described Cyrus. My shepherd, Quote, he shall perform all my pleasure. He will send the Jews home to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. Cyrus, as I said, not even born yet. it be 150 years before he was born. By the way, Cyrus, king of Persia, at that moment in history, was the most powerful man on planet Earth. A pagan, not a godfather. Hanging like Nebuchadnezzar and others prior to him. That's why I'm reading the book of Daniel is so cool. Just read it. Don't worry about the oh, talk. Just read it. In Cyrus, Ezra, chapter 1, the Bible says this. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, that the word of the Lord by what, the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. He <laughs> could have had Isaiah, but he doesn't. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus king of Persia. The Lord stirred up Cyrus so that he made a proclamation. Cyrus did you have all his kingdom. Remember, he's the most powerful man on planet earth. All his kingdom, and also put it in writing and saying, Thus says Cyrus King of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me. And he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is among you, all of his people? May his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver, with gold, with goods, with livestock, besides the free will offerings for the house of God, which is in the Jerusalem. I'm going to study heaven today. This is so cool. Cyrus, a pagan king of Persia, owns these Jews. They were Babylon owned them. He now owns them. And God says to him, Cyrus, I want you to make a decree. Pagan king. historically, it happened. read. They get custom-designed captives and stuff. <laughs> they get the property brothers to come to help. <laughs> I love watching that. God sets them free from Babylon. Sends them back to the land. Says, "Now build my temple." Instead, they build their own personal temple. You see a sin picture there. No matter what God does, when I am God. I'll do this. I'll set you free. Children of Israel. Go on and on. God set them free from Egypt. 430 years of making bricks. God set them free miraculously. Parts of the Red Sea. This is Mount Sinai Moses. they going to come here 40 days. I'll give Moses a for. Where are they doing at the bottom of the mountain? Or well, Moses is at the top of the mountain? They're going to take them back to Egypt. Crazy. But we've been there too, Bob. At least some, at least the majority would have been because they were we were better off in the sin of Egypt than here. And yet God had done what for them? Over and over and over again, it proved itself to be God. And instead, they said, nah, why are we following this back where Moses, he's a stubborn, why are we, to we better go back to Egypt see Pharaoh. Same thing happened to you. Got to the that got tough, fighting build our own houses and God said why is my temple lying in the ruins you've got a in nice house that's what he said then, then he says this he prays it consider your ways How what you do it? consider your ways and I get up and I will do it you know, my class this morning that's God says, I'm your daddy. Just pause. Look at what you're doing. If you're not doing what I want you to do, stop what you are doing and get back in the game and do what you're supposed to do. Because you're people. Look at chapter 45 of Isaiah verse 1. Thus says the Lord to his anointed. Cyrus. By the way, anointed means deliverer. To the anointed. To Cyrus whose right hand I have held, and subdued nations before him and loosed the armor of kings to open for him double doors so and the gates will not be shut. In other words, here's what he's saying. Yeah, I let Cyrus conquer Babylon. And I let Cyrus be this great world leader. Why? Notice the phrase of Jews in verse one. To Cyrus, whose right hand I have held. It simply means that God gave him the strength, the capacity to be where he wants. And the theme of the book of Daniel is that there will be kingdom after kingdom after kingdom after kingdom that will come on planet Earth. And when the dust is settled, there will only be one kingdom that survives, and it's the kingdom of quote the Most High God, who, by the way, is your God. I hope you're beginning. I know that some of this is rambling. So it's been so exciting for me. I'm trying to give you a sense. How much God has encouraged me over the last few weeks as I studying this? Who my dad is? What he can do, what he wants to do. I just need to get in on it. Look at verse 4 of chapter 45. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have even called you by your name. I have named you. Though you have not known me, I have named you. For Jacob, for Israel, Verse seven: I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I am the Lord. Do all these things. The followers of Cyrus, those Persians, they were followers of a philosophy called so Zoroaster. Z o r o a s t e r. Fascinating. They mm-hmm. knew that they were monotheistic, unlike most people. They believed in one God. They called that God. Light. And they had, he was opposed by another God that might be called darkness. Notice what God says about saying, I'm going to raise up Cyrus. I'm going to let him do his thing. I'm going to have him set my people free. But 150 years before Cyrus is even born, God says, I just want to remind the followers of Persians that I am light. Not their God. I create light. Peace. You better follow me. Because your God doesn't exist. I am light. That's the metaphor we see throughout scripture. Jesus even said, I am what? I am the world. John the Baptist said, I am not that light. Light's coming kind of that's given that you light to every man to the world. I am not that light, but I can't even reflect that light. It's a beautiful picture. here's what John the Baptist is saying. I'm a lamp. You have lamps in your home. I'm not saying you have lamps all over your house. When the light is turned on, the lamp does what? It reflects the light that's in it. Exactly what John the Baptist said about himself. I'm just a lamp. I want people to see the light that's within me. That's what it means to be a Christian. Go all the way back to when you were a kid and growing up and go BBSA and this little light of mine, I'm going to go All I'm going to say hey, This little light of mine, I'm going to let it. Why? Because Christ in me is the hope of glory. The only hope I have, anybody else has. I, God controls circumstances. Peace, calamity. You trust me. Look at verse 2 for a moment. We're almost done for the day. Look at verse 2. Beautiful. Again, he's the God of history. That's what we're looking for. He says, "I will go before you. I will make the crooked talking to Cyrus. I will make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze, and I will cut the bars of iron." When Cyrus conquered Babylon, again, it's 150 years before he's born. When he conquered Babylon, here's how he did it. This is history. Throw your Bible away. That's fine. Here's history. He diverted the Euphrates River which flowed under the city gates of Babylon. And the person marched in there on what kind of rain? Rise. Exactly what God was saying. He diverted the Euphrates River. He marched in on dry 45 miles around. That's how big Babylon was. The walls of it were 32 feet thick and 100 cubits high. Huge. It is said, it is history, six chariots how big a chariot is it? six of them could drive side by side on the walls of the city of hundred and a hundred gates of solid brass. look at verse 3, I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I the Lord will call you by your name, Cyrus I'm the God of Israel all the treasures of Babylon, God gave to Cyrus Jews later on, by the way, on oh, who's back. The Jews. They can go back and to the temple and their city. Verse 5. I am the Lord, there is no other. There is no God besides me. I will gird you, though you have not known me. We're going to stop that verse today. That's the theme what we're talking about. You're ready alone is God. You know what he's saying to Cyrus? I'm God. There is no other besides me. Even though you, Cyrus, have not known me, you're a pagan, I'm still what? God. I'm in control. I'm going to use you in history as I seek it, because I'm God. Your dad is the God of history. By the way, is history still going on? There is... Horrible things that we'll look back to years now, or whatever, the coronavirus, he knows what's going to happen today. He knows what things can happen. I'm reading a book now about 1963, how terrified people were of living in the war. 61, 62, 63, the native pigs, and and all of those things that went on. It's fascinating when you realize, and I remember as a kid, one thing we were all terrified of was that the Russians were going to come and, and drop a nuclear bomb. It's going to be over with. I remember I went to Little Oaks Elementary School in Memphis, in the third grade. and I remember us and then putting us in the hall, so when they dropped the nuclear bomb, we'd be, we, and I'm thinking, I, I ain't real smart. The if they dropped the a nuclear bomb, I don't think it's gonna like happen. <laughs> That doesn't mean if something like it could happen. something crazy. They're about to still that But Christians do not live as in faith. Why? Well, so it's like now. So man is the God of history. He owns it. I <coughs> of the things I know is trifling is so true. History is his story. Like this. Father, we are so grateful that we have you as our dad. You are far beyond our Creator. You are the one who loved us, sent the Redeemer for us, brought us back to the slave market of sin, and set us free. We're humble and we're grateful. I just pray, Father, that as your children, we'd be excited about our dad share our dad and his plans and what he's done in history, what he's doing now, what he will do in the future. Our moment in time in history. No matter how old or young we are, this is the time you have for us in history. Right? We'd be excited about that and just talk about our Right? Let don't know how much he loves us. So, Father, as Christians, you challenge us in our spirits, our hearts, and Morning, we close out our time together. There's somebody here who's not a believer, not a Christ follower, doesn't know you as Daddy. What a great day. Just say, Jesus gives me. Say, Be, I will follow you. We commit this time to you, really Lord Jesus.